You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Uh, very special episode today. I'm a huge horror fan, Ryan. You know that. I know. Yeah, I'm a big fan. And uh, I got to work with this guy in a movie called Urban Legend, which many of you probably didn't see. But my dog dies. They put it in the microwave in the movie. Real dark stuff. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it was great working with him. He was really fun. We got to do a little Fangoria magazine interview. Robert England, of course. Freddy Krueger. Uh, this is a great interview. I really was waiting for this one. I tried to get him for a long time, and uh, he finally came around. Maybe he didn't know, you know. Who's to say? Uh, you just got vaccinated. I did. I got my second vax. Second vax. So we could hug soon. We can. Two weeks. Two weeks. You'll hug me. I will. Guys, you need to watch this <laughs> podcast just to see us hug on the show. Uh, couple reminders. First of all, thank you for subscribing and listening to the show. And if you're here for, to listen to Robert England, you're a big horror fan, I, I would really uh, hope that you would give the show a chance and subscribe. You can subscribe at Ryan. Uh, well, you can go to YouTube and you can subscribe. You type inside of you with Michael Rosenbaum and subscribe there. You can watch the interviews or you can go to Spotify or Apple or whatever. Write a review. Right. Subscribe. Right. And uh, the handles are at inside of you pod on Twitter, at inside of you podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Yes, there you go. I might still be a little brain foggy. Yeah, I'm a little brain foggy too. I'll tell you what. We watched, uh, I've been really getting into these UFOs, the UFO thing. Uh, you know, I watched the Bob Lazar documentary on Netflix. It's free. I watched the, uh, it's called The Phenomenon, which is one of the best documentaries about UFOs and the military and the government hiding all this shit. And, um, unacknowledged and read some stuff and listen to the Joe Rogan interview and check it out. There's uh there's some stuff going on. I think there's uh I think everybody at this point knows that there's mm -hmm. probably we're not the only ones in this vast universe. Yeah. So just check it out. Uh anyway, look guys, uh we're doing another show, Sunspin my band, uh last Saturday of every month and it is the 29th, I believe, in May. Two shows, 2 p.m., 6 p.m. Just go to sunspin.com. You can get merch. You could book uh, Zooms with us. You could uh, book the band. And you could also uh, get tickets to the show, which is May 29th. And uh, we're really loving it. Check us out on Spotify, too, and uh, Apple, wherever you want to look. But uh, we're all over the place. Our new album, we're really excited about it. And also, if you want to get uh, any merch for Inside of You, the podcast, if you're digging to go to Inside of You online store, you can get Lex Luthor stuff and Inside of You stuff. And there's just so much uh, good goodness. There's only, I think, a couple lunchboxes left. Uh-oh. Smallville lunchboxes. But get on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's have a code. Let's have a discount code for the uh, Inside of You online store. Okay. Let's call it UFO 15. 15% 15 off Christ. everything in the store. <laughs> UFO 15. 15. Oh my God. Uh, you're going to watch these documentaries. I'm going to make you watch them. So you then you're going to go, you know what? I I know what you're talking about. Look, here's, the, I, I believe that aliens exist. I just, the, the rabbit hole is too deep to go down for me to feel any kind of sanity about it. Like it's, <sighs> I said sure. that. I said the same thing. And then I start watching the stuff and I go, I just, I, I don't. Why is it so crazy to think that some ship, you know, that goes light speed? light years ahead of us the, mm -hmm. the the speed at which these crafts go somehow whether it broke down whether it uh had difficulties whether it came into our realm our universe and crashed what's so crazy about that and then they've got this technological 
advance advances and you know that we we can't even understand that <laughs> just, and then for years we're trying to catch up that, that's as simple as that it's just because it, there are so many other issues in the world to fix this one just feels like a, but this could fix fuck? it this could fix so much i mean it, that I, don't know. There, I have a theory i'm not gonna talk about it uh anyway thank you guys so much for subscribing i love my patrons you know i do it means the world to me that you listen to the podcast. Um, thank you, Westwood One. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Bryce. If you want to write in, hello at Inside of You Podcast. Uh, I don't always write back, but I, I do read the messages, and uh, I thank you for them. And um, that's about it. Why don't we get inside of Robert England? It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. Well, what a treat. I get to talk to Nancy England. <laughs> oh, yes. The infamous Nancy. Oh, yeah. I mean, how many times have you said, why did you marry a woman named Nancy? <laughs> we get so much fan mail about that. And she's <laughs> sort of cut from the same bolt of cloth as Heather. Well, but the joke is that he looked really hard for Nancy. Right. <laughs> I bet you get there's so many questions you probably get just so tired of. And I was thinking, okay, let me put myself in, in, in Robert's shoes here because, you know, I played a villain for a long time and, you know, people would always say, Lex Luthor. In fact, I had a guy come over and, and redo my wall in the podcast room. And he's like every, you know, he's this uh, Hispanic guy and a great guy. He's like, uh, Mr. Luther, Mr. Luther. <laughs> Luther. Yeah, he's like, actually, he called me Mr. Luthor. And I go, it's actually Luther. Luther. <laughs> Luther. But I mean, do you, you go through stages of like, in the beginning, you're like excited. And then you're like, all right, that's not the only thing I do. I mean, and then you go, eh, what the hell? I embrace this. This is amazing. I'm lucky to be. Did you go through stages like that of like people going, hey, Freddie? And you're like, fuck you. Well, you know, Michael, I, I always thought of you as as a comedian and <laughs> then you you had this great success playing a villain you know so i can kind of flip this question back to you but for me i was lucky i had the whole 70s playing best friends right and sidekicks and then towards the end i was everybody's favorite redneck yeah you know like crash robert england <laughs> and uh so i I had done, I'd already been established in Hollywood yep. and knew who I was. And when I did V and then Freddie, it just banged me into international actor overnight, you know? Mm. And I said, I, I'd never had that kind of success before. And I see it was like grabbing the, the ring on the merry-go-round, you know, mm. I got it. I, I just hung on. Yeah. Cause you had done, I mean, you're classically trained. You've done a bunch of shit before that. So well, I didn't have it. I, you don't have anything to prove. You know, I, I mean, I understudied Iago with a great actor uh, playing Othello, uh, Roger Robinson, the late Roger Robinson, who did a lot of the August Wilson plays. I think he won a Tony Award for one of them. But but I, I've done a lot of stuff, but I did it in that moment of time, you know, when you don't when you're not on, you know, Entertainment Tonight and access Hollywood right. on the cover of People magazine because you're starring in some play in the Midwest with Michael Moriarty, original Law and Order. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's so I had that kind of under my belt. Right. And I kind of proved to myself 
you know, that I could do that stuff. And then the first 10 years in Hollywood, you know, my God, I hit my marks with Jeff Bridges and uh, uh, Barbara Streisand and Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson, Susan Sarandon. I had a partial nude scene with Susan Sarandon. What do you mean partial? Where you're at? Was well, it, Susan, at? Susan was topless. Well, what about you? <laughs> no, I was playing the bashful side sidekick. Oh, know? okay. And uh, so I got to be bashful and uh, sensitive. <laughs> and uh, and and Susan had to unbutton her blouse and flash me. Have you but ever bared ass? In 1975, that's Rocky Horror Show era. Right. Humana, humana, humana. Yeah. <laughs> did you? I mean, did you ever bare ass or anything like that? Oh yeah, yeah. I recently too. I'm <laughs> old, and you know my <laughs> testicles are down around my kneecaps. Now. Come on. Yeah, no. Uh, fear <laughs> clinic. I had to run around naked in fear clinic. So. Uh, and be this old scientist, you know. So that was kind of wait a minute. You, you showed your junk. Well, I mean, I could see it when I, I I go from like a kind of uh samadhi tank, you know, uh one of those uh uh kind of like hot tubs, sensory deprivation hot tubs, and they kind of they put a towel around me and march me across. But you know, I went to dailies, I saw the pelotas. <laughs> You're like, somebody's gonna take this. Some Eight, like some little assistant's going to just take a picture of your junk and it's going to yeah. be everywhere. What, what was that magazine? Celebrity Skin, remember? Yep, I do. Oh, back in the day, don't you remember you and me and Jonathan Silverman back in the 1960s <laughs> hanging out with Hugh Hefner at the Playboy Mansion? Oh, getting yeah. Getting our pictures in Celebrity Skin. I think Silverman was dating a couple of girls from Petticoat Junction. <laughs> Jesus, you really are aging him there. Is he that old, old Silverman? I'm, I'm just kidding. I know, I'm I know. I think it's general. Right. General. Well, listen, were, you, were your parents when you were growing up? Because, look, first of all, I want to say I love you. I've always loved you. You were a, an idol of mine. And, uh, you know, working with you in Urban Legend and just being in the trailer. And I remember when Fangoria Magazine came to interview us. And I just was on Cloud Nine. It was my first big movie, really, uh, with a big part. And we just really hit it off. And I just always admired you and looked up to you. And, we got along so fondly that it was just uh, you, you made it so easy for everybody around you because you are a legend. And even at that well, time, you, you, you ordered breakfast at craft service one day at the window. I think we had really good craft service, like like some fabulous lesbians from Vancouver who were making us great, you know, granola with a lot of brown <laughs> sugar and syrup and stuff. And I remember you ordering as Mike as, as Christopher Walken one day. I'll take eggs me from then on. I'll take eggs. <laughs> Silver easy scrambled robert england's with a u it's not an a it's not land it's lund lund he's swedish he's swedish you are swedish ow, but ow, but ow. i just I, whoa i think i can do ow ow you just everything's it's relaxed and you know what's funny is i ended up working with him like two years later i know and he was i saw you after that i asked you what that dueling dueling walkins yeah dueling walkins he was yeah he was uh kind of uh weirded out by me but because i was so you know you get that bright-eyed kind of young guy looking at him going and he's like oh great another fanboy another fanboy but he was cool uh but you know when i met you you were so humble we had such a good time and we that was really a, a good time shooting urban well, legend it was a great cast i mean you know I, i've had a little crush on alicia witt my entire career i remember her on the old civil civil shepherd show say that 10 times fast but uh I mean, you know, Jared Leto, 
pre-Oscar. Yeah. Josh Jackson. And, you know, I think the unsung acting in that movie. I mean, Loretta Devine, Brad Dourif, but the unsung performance in that movie. Rebecca Gayhart's great in that movie. Yeah, she, she did a great, great job. Villain. What about yeah. the guy? What about the professor? Remember, he was from X-Files. Had- oh, no. that well, See, I had lunch. The, the John Neville. John Neville. I had, when I was a Rada boy, and I was all patches on my sleeves, you know, and uh, talking like Madonna in London, um, <laughs> Royal Academy brat, um, we studied some of those performances. And John Neville had done Othello on the West End with Richard Burton oh. when the entire audience was teenage girls because Burton was so beautiful, you know, with his strategic acne scars and that beautiful voice that sounded like silver thunder. And, <laughs> and, and they would all do the matinees. The girls, the teenage girls would all ditch school, go to the matinees to see Burton. And Neville and Burton would swap roles. One night he'd play Othello in blackface, politically incorrect. Jesus. And then the next night he'd play Iago. So I go out to lunch in downtown Toronto at this elegant old restaurant with John Neville. And of course, I know all this shit. So I, I start asking him these questions and no one's asked him these questions in 50 years. So it's little Robert England, you know, sitting there, you know, but I, you know, I've got my little goatee and, uh, and my George Clooney haircut and I'm, and I'm being a, a subtle fanboy with John Neville, but he loved it. So I got all this gossip you know, about Judy Dench and about Richard Burton. Give me something. Give me something that nobody knows. Judy Dench apparently was wild. And Helen Mirren, he said, Helen Mirren, every time she got a, she got on stage, she had to take her clothes off. You know, she always wanted to do a nude scene back then. Helen Mirren always wanted to be naked. Apparently that's what he says. When Neville told me, he goes, Oh, Oh, Helen, Helen. Oh, she, she, she do King Leo naked. If she could, (laughs) she loved, I guess she loved, apparently she had a lot of nude scenes. At the old, but when you're naked at the old Ville or the Royal Shakespeare Company, that's really something, you know. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty amazing. I remember John Neville. Yeah, John Neville was great. I remember that one line. I just always remember goes, "The weekend." <laughs> the weekend. I mean, if you look at if you if you if you IMBD him, it's amazing. Oh yeah, he's done everything. To see, yeah, to, to see the stuff he did. I think he was sort of the new John Gilgood. I think that's sort of how I could see that. Him. Yeah. yeah. Hey, when you were a kid and you were born in Glendale, I didn't know you were born in Glendale. I was born up in the foothills there. You know, there's that place, there's a kind of a weird area where Hollywood and Atwater Village yep. and Grand Boulevard. It's sort of like Los Feliz hits Glendale and there's some foothills going up. And I was born at a hospital in those foothills, but I almost immediately became a Valley boy. I grew up almost until I was 18. Uh, I was in the Valley. I was a Valley boy and I lived in Encino and, and Sherman Oaks and Woodland Hills and Northridge. And I lived for a while on that street, right down the, right down the block from Clark Gable. So when I was like a little kid going to the market with my mom, Clark Gable would be in there, you know, in the wow. Did you always want to do it? Act? I'm, I, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the moment I was supposed to be a lawyer, but I remember the moment I was dragged dragged off to a, a professional children's uh, workshop, children's theater workshop. And I was with this older girl who was the hottest girl in the Valley. And that's saying something. That's a pretty <laughs> high bar, you know. And uh, she later became a talk show host in Puerto Rico. And she was a wannabe actress. And I figured I'd just be, you know, sweeping backstage and, and ushering or something. 
I got all the lead roles. I was Pinocchio. I was Peter Pan. I was Aladdin. I was Hansel and Hansel and Gretel. And, and, Gretel. and I also got laid for the first time. I was 12 years old. With her? With the Puerto Rican? Uh, no, 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 no. It was, uh, all I remember was there was a sweatshirt that said Bloomington, Indiana on it. It was kids from all over the country. So it was some bad girl from Bloomington, Indiana. How old were you when you got laid? 12 and a half, yeah. Wait, wait, how old? My summer of 12 and a half. 12 I, didn't, or- I didn't have uh, penetration sex for a long time after that. But yeah, I lost <laughs> my favorite 12 and a half. 12 and a half? I didn't have hair on my balls till I was 18. I didn't either. And I was probably <laughs> the worst piece of ass in the world, you know. Um, I, I, you know, talk about premature ejaculation. But uh, or any oh ejaculation, God, you know? and I had I had curlers in my hair, they spoolies. They had curlers in my hair. The girl had because my hair was supposed to be curly for one of the roles I was playing. Yeah, that's, that's, dramatic, r- huh? that's ridiculous. That is absolutely wonderfully ridiculous. A hair dryer fetish now. Were your parents were they always uh, supportive of what you were doing and 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 just like I love you, I love you, Robert. Uh, you can't go wrong with us. Did you have a good support system? They farmed me out to the to the to the children's theater, so I blame them kind of. But then later on, they sort of thought I would change my tune and and stick with law uh, because I was an athlete and because I was you know national thespian guy and because I had good grades, I was sort of uh, fast tracked. Maybe to and I, they they invited me up to Stanford, you know, for a meet. You know, that thing you do in the senior, senior year, you go to a college. Right. And I went up there and uh, I was a pretty hardcore surfer. And the the one thing we hated were Speedos. You know, you, you had to have surf board shorts, not Speedos. Thank and God. I went up to Stanford and all the frat boys were from all over the country. And it was the first sunny day uh, up in Palo Alto. And they all had their Speedos on and they were laying out in the lawn outside the frat houses, rubbing each other with baby oil to get a suntan because everybody liked to be tan back then. We didn't know about skin cancer and it creeped me out. So I said, no, nah, no. Nah. So I went to uh, Cal state Northridge and UCLA for a while. You know, I just stayed close to home. But they were always like, uh, whatever you want to do. We love you. Like, did you get like a lot of love as a kid? Yeah. I had this great, I had a great upbringing. I mean, you know, it was, it, I, it's, I look back and it was like uh, really encouraged and uh, let me alone. <clears throat> and also that kind of freedom, you know, there was my generation, we had tons of freedom, you know, your mom or your dad would whistle for you for dinner. You know, yeah. Yeah. I remember that at night. Yeah. And until you were just out in the neighborhood and you could tell who was cool by where people's bicycles were in the driveways, because in those days, nobody parked in driveways. You had to use the garage, you know, and the streets were for kids Yeah, and orange groves. And the beach, you know, was for kids, you know. I experienced that. I experienced that in the 80s. It was just a freedom of, like, be home by 10. They didn't know where you were. If you wanted to go see someone at the movie theater, you go, I'll meet you there at 7 and just hope they're there. Yeah. Well, you also learned a kind of social interaction and how to survive. And and it was weird. Like, at strange points during your, your childhood, remember when cool kids kind of were nice to you the first time, you know, or let you come over and hang. Their parents were out of town or something. Or you get to go swim in their pool or or their mom would drop you off at the beach, you know, drop you off at Malibu and, and leave you there all day. And uh, so those moments of time, I think, are real important because I, if, you, if you're not out on your own, you're not able to kind of negotiate that kind of social 
uh, demarcation that exists in society. Yeah, I think that's really nice. You know, I look at your career and you've done so much. I look at TV. I love, look at the movies. I look at all these things. When, you know, your parents are seeing success and they're seeing Original you. Original Charlie's Angels. <laughs> you did Charlie's Angels? How long I've been around, yeah. Jesus. Well, I mean, that's not that old. That's, uh, I mean, what are you? Well, what my, are you first, my first film job is 73, but my, my professional debut is 68. How old were you? 20. 20. 21. Now, yeah. your parents, when you did, now are your parents no longer with you? They've been gone for a while, yeah. You know, I, I wonder, they see all these roles. They got to experience a lot of your success, right? Yeah, they, well, my mom wasn't around for a lot of Freddie, but the very beginning of Freddie. But my dad, my dad's great moment was I was working and I couldn't go to the premiere of my first movie because I was out killing Burt Reynolds in another movie. <laughs> and so my dad went to my premiere, movie directed by Dan Petrie, the whitest guy in the world, Canadian director, great director who directed among other things, the original Raisin in the Sun, mm. you know, and uh, I mean, that cast is who's who of great black actors. But I I didn't get to go to the premiere and the after party was at Chasen's. And my dad <laughs> got to go. Wow. And he was with Pamela Sue Martin and Jan Michael Vincent. They took care of him. And my dad got to go to the after party at Chasen's. And my dad's a martini guy. And Chasen's is famous for like the best martini in the world. My dad had been there before, uh, but not a lot. So my dad loved that. My dad kind of knew I had arrived because he got to go to the after party at Chasen's. And I had single, you know, the first time you get single card. At your own movie. table. My first movie, I got single card. Single card in at the, at the, you know, you have your own table at the party. If there's, a, you know. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Fourth billing. And so my dad kind of got it then. And I kept the, I kept. You know, I'm, I'm, I was Bobby England, Robbie England for my whole life. And I used Robert England. Uh, and that my dad really made my dad feel good because that's what my that dad would call me when he was pissed at me. You know? But what was it uh, like? He <laughs> was like, Robert, Robert, get your ass in here. 12 and a half years old laying pipe. Robert, what are you doing? Swing out of the driveway. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, I have to say, like when, when I first got Smallville, when they first saw it, that was the first time they were like, oh, you're on a successful show. Like I had done a lot of things that weren't successful, but that was, you know, but this was the biggest thing. This was like, holy shit. So Nightmare Elm, International, too. Yeah. And all of a yeah. sudden, you know, it was like everybody was like, wait a minute. It's not just another independent film or a little, you know, my dad always said, what are you doing? I'm doing this movie. Uh, when's it going to be in theaters? Well, it's independent. Oh, so it's not real. <laughs> no, well, no, it could become a movie. Man, can you go to Wait. Utah? <laughs> yeah, it always it just it somehow lessened. It made me feel lesser than I was. But we won't get into that. But, um, <laughs> you know, but I wonder when they first saw Nightmare on Elm Street and they saw you as not playing the buddy, not playing these, you know, the plays and the, all that stuff was great. And they're like, this guy, our son's talented. But when they saw you as this, this come to life, this larger than life character, did they ever, did your mom or dad ever just say, wow, Robert, did they ever have that moment? They never saw me on stage, uh, at, you know, professionally, which was a great disappointment because I had a couple of big successes uh, on stage. But Johnny Carson, I think, did a Freddy Krueger joke or, or, or Dick Cavett or somebody did right. a Freddy Krueger joke. And they heard that. And, uh, and and I'd sort of entered the popular culture by then. And there was also uh, in the Sunday funnies. Some One of the cartoonists in the Sunday papers had done a Freddy Krueger thing. 
And that's actually what sort of relax that sort of relaxed them, you know. Wow. But I had also done V. V was a big show. I loved it. Elm Street. And it was a miniseries. Yep. And it was a big event. And it had this really rare uh, advertising campaign, like Rosemary's Baby. When I was in college in UCLA hanging out, all over the streets of Westwood, there were stencils that said, pray for Rosemary's Baby. And fake graffiti that said, pray for Rosemary's Baby. So we were all anticipating it. If you hadn't read the book by Ira Levin, you know, you were, what, what, what is this, Rosemary's Baby? It's coming, it's coming. And or you just see a, an entire billboard, and it was just a, a a baby's bassinet, you know, or a baby carriage. Yeah, creepy. And uh, so they did the same thing with V. They did fake fake graffiti, like dripping graffiti, like graffiti had been a big V, paint. right? A big V, and it was dripping, like red red spray paint everywhere, all over America on billboards. And my parents saw that. And I had already told them I was doing it. So they knew that was sort of like, oh, you know, and also, and you, you know this, I mean, because you've done a lot of independence, you get that TV money, that first TV check, you forget. That's where the bucks are. Oh, you know, yeah. TV and oh, syndication, yeah. that's where you make your money. That's how you buy your first house. Yeah. And I couldn't believe it, you know, getting those first checks from V. Uh, you know, uh, that was like, whoa, you know, you, after a month, you know, you, you're, maybe you've got six figures in the bank. You can't believe it. You know? And that was Mark Singer, right? V Mark and Faye Grant. And I, if I saw Faye Grant singing in the rain on Broadway, she's so good. Yeah. A lot of people, Michael, uh, uh, uh Michael Ironside, the great Michael Ironside. Yeah. Within that. Yeah. It was fun. Huge cast. Uh, uh, Michael Wright, uh, just terrific actors, yeah. That's awesome. I mean, it we is, got it, the guy. We got those guys that became ILM, um, John Dykstra from from Star Wars, and they came over and did our effects. And so the special effects on V were what really raised the bar for special effects on television. It, you look back at it now, and 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 it looks kind of like cheesy CGI, but back then it was state of the art, right? And uh, really. But before V, it was just somebody running around in green makeup chasing William Shatner. Inside of You is brought to you by Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. And look, hair thinning impacts a lot of us, myself included. In fact, over half of us will experience hair thinning at some point in our lives. It's not only common, it's normal. Join over 1 million people who are doing something about it with Nutrafol. Nutrafol helps support hair growth from within by targeting possible key root causes of thinning. Stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and even metabolism. Does the craziness of everyday life leave you stressed and shedding? Since having kids, have you started seeing a little more of your scalp? Has menopause impacted your hormones and your hairline? When it comes to thinning hair, there are many possible root causes at play, and Nutrafol helps address them through a multi-targeted, whole-body approach. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In Nutrafol's own clinical studies, 72% of men saw more scalp coverage after taking Nutrafol men's hair growth supplement for six months, and 86% of women saw improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplement for six months. 
While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In Nutrafol's own clinical study, 72% of men saw more scalp coverage after taking Nutrafol men's hair growth supplement for six months, and 86% of women saw improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplements for six months. Take their hair wellness quiz at Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific possible root causes. With Nutrafol, getting help building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day. You could see results in three to six months. Take the first step to help you see visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter promo code INSIDE. Find out why 4,500 professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L, .com promo code inside that's nutrafol.com promo code inside inside of you is brought to you by neurohacker qualia synaletic i just sent some of this to my mother and she's starting to notice the differences hmm. in herself and, she, and because i noticed my mother was always had brain fog and and she couldn't think clearly and and you know and and i i was like well this stuff works for me and what's great is I didn't even, they weren't even a sponsor when I started using this. Um, have you heard of Synaletics yet? Well, listen, it's a class of ingredients discovered less than 10 years ago, and they're being called one of the biggest discoveries of our time for helping to promote healthy aging and helping to enhance your physical prime. Your life goals in your career and beyond require productivity. But let's be honest, the aging process is not our friend when it comes to endless energy and productivity. That's why I use Qualia Senolytic. As we age, everyone accumulates senescent cells in their body. Senescent cells may cause symptoms of aging, such as aches and discomfort, slow workout recoveries, hello, sluggish mental and physical energy, hello, associated with that middle age feeling, hello. Also known as zombie cells, they are old and worn out and not serving a useful function for our health anymore, but they could be taking up space and nutrients from our healthy cells. Much like pruning the yellowing and dead leaves off a plant, Qualia Senoletic helps remove those worn out senescent cells to allow for the rest of them to thrive in the body. And you just take it two days a month. That's it. The formula is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and the ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in the combined effect of all ingredients together. And they must believe in their product because they have a 100-day money-back guarantee. It's pretty amazing. I felt higher energies. Uh, I feel uh, more focused. Um, younger. I have to say, because a lot of these things make me feel younger. I feel more uh, productivity happening in my life, a little more enthusiastic. Help resist aging at the cellular level. Try Qualia Senoletic. Go to neurohacker.com slash inside for up to $100 off and use code inside at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com slash inside for an extra 15% off your purchase. Thanks to Neurohacker for sponsoring today's episode. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The products and statements are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You know, you said something about Star Wars, your Star Wars guy. Did you, did you audition for Star Wars? You know, it's the it's this internet. Uh, uh, yeah, they, uh, they throw that out there. Well, it's the internet screws up. It's like that Dixie cup with a string in it. 
the way they uh, kind of obstruct the truth. No, I have a great uh, once upon a time in Hollywood story that I tell at conventions. And it got turned into Robert England was up for Star Wars. I was, I wanted to go in and, and audition for the Frederick Forrest role in Apocalypse Now, the chef. Right. I was too young and Freddie Forrest was under contract to Zoetrope. But I got in for the surfer because I had done Big Wednesday because I surf. So they brought me in for the surfer. They thought I was a little bit too old. I had kind of, you know, stubbly beard, but I was buff. I was tan. I was surfing. I had long blonde hair and I was wearing kind of a military uh, thrift shop outfit. Apocalypse now, right? I think I even had a pair of fake dog tags on my shirt unbuttoned long blonde curly hair and Fred's Fred Bruce or somebody walked me across the hall from the apocalypse now audition, which, which I did not get. They said, you know, you might be right for something here. And they brought me over to the star Wars audition. And I don't even think it was called star Wars then. And they took my Polaroid like a mugshot, you know, profile and full face. And I think it was for the hand solo role. I think they were, didn't, they didn't know how to go with it. Originally they were thinking of an older uncle the kind of guy that brings a joint to Thanksgiving and gets all the kids <laughs> high, you know, the cool older uncle. And then, and I think they even offered it to Tom Selleck. I think I heard Good. and he turned them down or something. I don't know. But anyway, he, he so turned it down for a uh, for a reverse mortgage. Yeah, that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Back in the day, little Annie's husband passed away. She loved her house though. She didn't want to lose her house. Anyway, <laughs> I've, I've been around the block saying my first rodeo. Anyway, I go across the hall and it's, and, and, it, and I'm just excited because I love George Lucas, American graffiti, THX 138. I love George Lucas. I go across the hall. I take my Polaroid, maybe for Han Solo, but I notice the sides for Luke Skywalker because the name, it's such a great name, Luke Skywalker. And I looked at the sides. I can't remember if I stole them or not. I went across the street to the Formosa. <laughs> so now you know where I am. Oh yeah. Had a couple of Bushmills, jumped in my old 2000 Datsun, not year 2000, cubic inches. And I went went back to my place in Laurel Canyon. And I look outside, there's a pair of old beat up fry boots in front of my front door, which means, ah, it's Mark Hamill, because we would take off our shoes. I had nice carpeting in my, my lair up in Laurel Canyon. And uh, Mark was on my couch watching the Bob Newhart show. We would watch Bob Newhart and Mary Tyler Moore because we hadn't watched the originals. Then we'd call our agents. And I walked in the door and I said, hey, Mark, you know, you, George Lucas is doing another movie and you might be right for this. So my my once upon a time in Hollywood story is that Freddy Krueger told Luke Skywalker to call his agent and he got the part. You know, he got in there and got the part. Now, his agent hates me telling this story because she swears that she already had submitted him, but I don't know. Of course. This is before your time. But in the 70s, you were either movies or you were TV. You didn't go back and forth until Travolta. Oh, yeah. Went, um, until Welcome Back, Cotter. And then he went into Saturday, Saturday Night, Night Fever. Fever. Right. That was a big shift. That was a big shift. You were either a movie guy or a TV guy, and your agents had power accordingly you know, to that. And even then it was tough. Even after that, it didn't really start to happen until like, even 
I'd say even really in 2000s, like, you know. It was tricky. I mean, you were either a TV actor or you were a movie actor. It was, it was very different, yeah. Wow, what a great story. So you and, you and Mark Hamill were close. Mark was turned me on to the Kinks. He turned me on to Lenny Bruce, all the Lenny Bruce albums, Lord Buckley. Uh, but best of all uh, was Monty Python. And we had all the albums. And I did for like a year, I didn't realize they performed that stuff, actually performed it as sketch comedy. I just thought they were like BBC radio voices. And we would lay on our backs, you know, and look at the ceiling in my apartment and just play the albums over and over again and try to memorize the routines. We love Monty Python. Mark Hamill in real life is just really, really quick, really yeah. funny. He is. You know, he go, he works a little blue, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, he, it's different than you think, you know, because he's so he was so good looking. He was always sort of like leading man. Yeah. But he's actually, I think, a character actor. Couple, I know a lot of people are like that. Richard Gere is maybe, you know, he's such a good looking guy, but he might actually really be a character actor in a leading man's body. I think it happens occasionally to some of these guys. Did you have where, you know, you and Mark are good friends and then because this happens all the time. He goes off to do Star Wars. He becomes a big star and then you don't hear from him again. No, Mark came back. And told us all the stories. Did he know? say, this is going to suck? Wait. Yeah, oh, Mark knew, because Mark's a fanboy. You know, Mark's, Mark had a, had a letter in Famous Monsters magazine as a child. You know, I think he was a military brat. And uh, Mark knew uh, that it was going to be huge. And I got, he told me, you know, Alec Guinness stories. And I think he had a crush on Carrie Fisher. And no, Mark and I were, were friends after that for, for, for a while. What changed was I moved. I moved to Santa Monica. I had some money after, uh, I think it was after Stay Hungry. And we moved to Santa Monica or uh, I, I moved some, Mark, Mark moved or Mark moved to Malibu and I moved to Hancock Park. And we, I, we just, that was like, you know, we just didn't see each other as much anymore. Mark got married. Uh, and that, that's sort of like when we did, I would see him occasionally at, you know, like uh, Comic-Con down in San Diego or something. Right. And Star Wars was 78, 76? I think so, yeah. 77, 78, yeah. And, and, and Nightmare on Elm Street was what, 80? 84, yeah. I was just still, I was doing, I think I was doing uh, my Henry Fonda movie then. Right. Uh, right around then, yeah. Did you, when you auditioned, do you remember the scene you auditioned for, for Freddie? I, it was a meet. I didn't read. You met it with Wes? Nope, it was a meet, uh, and it was... I think it was in North Hollywood, but it might have been at the studio, the old Desilu studio on Coenga. But uh, I, I, again, I was like surfing then. When I wasn't acting, I was just surfing. So I was really, really tan and I had really long blonde hair and my hair is, is kind of fine and thin. And I remember greasing my hair back using some oil under the hood of my car. And I've told this story a million times. So I'm sorry if I'm boring. Anymore. No, no, I but haven't I, heard and it. I, and I also use cigarette ash under my eyes. It's an old makeup theater trick. It looks very real. You can make your eyes look real heroin chic, kind of junky. You can Ooh. sink your eyes a bit and to kind of counteract my healthy, my healthy Malibu tan. <laughs> and uh, I grease my hair back and you can kind of see through my hair to see my skull a little bit because my hair was greased and slicked back. And uh, my hairline's high anyway. And I went in and I just remember, keep your mouth shut, Robert. Keep your mouth shut. And I 
I played staring games with Wes. I tried not to blink. You know that old thing you, when you're a kid? You, you don't try not to blink. Who can go longest without blinking? And, and Wes was the raconteur. Wes was telling me all of his ideas about the movie and what it meant and how it would be. And I listened and absorbed that. But I kind of posed a little bit. I kind of sucked my cheeks in. And I kind of made my eyes a little bit psycho. And I think that's how I got the part. But Annette Benning, I don't know if you went up for National Lampoon movies or stuff with Annette Benning, but Annette Benning, I had just been up for National Lampoon's class reunion. Every role in the movie, I tested with everybody. Annie Potts, I tested with everybody. And <clears throat> I didn't get it. I kind of canceled myself out uh, with my being too versatile or something. I don't know. And But Annette felt bad about that. And I think Annette was really my champion. And 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 convinced Wes. Uh, Annette uh, Benning. Not Annette, Annette Benson. Benson, Jesus Christ! I, I was like Annette Benning. Benning. No, Annette Benson. I, I, not Annette Benning. Not the actress. Okay. I, that's me. That's a that's a mind fart. I'm, I apologize. <laughs> Everybody's like, I apologize wow. to both of them. No, Annette Benson uh, was the casting director. She did a lot, a lot. She's quite famous, and I think she really fought for me. But there's another theory that I have a real skinny kind of hatchet face and they were very worried bob shea head of new line west crave and they were all worried david miller the makeup effects guy about when you put makeup on somebody a lot of times if they have a big head and a lot of people in film have big heads because it looks great on film small people with big heads you know what i'm talking i have about. a big head and thank you you put makeup on them prosthetics then their heads really look big especially if they don't have broad shoulders right well i'm 510 and i've got reasonably broad shoulders so i could take the prosthetics without it looking out of ratio to the rest wow. of my body. And I think it could have been as simple as that, although I hadn't done any tests or anything. They may have just been able to tell by the way I looked. Did you think you were uh, going to like, oh, they're going to fire me once they see makeup on? There's always this, this actor thought of like, they're going to fire me once, no? No, you know, it was, it was a strange thing. I kind of owned it, it quick. I mean, Wes didn't give me much direction from after about the first couple of days. I just sort of got it. He knew, I, I knew that Freddy exists in a dream. So it's a little larger than life. You're dreaming, Freddy. He's not walking around in an alley sharing a cigarette with you behind the Formosa. Freddy's, Freddy's in your dream. So it's slightly exaggerated. You know, Freddy could br break into song and dance if he wanted to. And uh, he kind of knows your subconscious. He's kind of in there looking in your underwear drawer of your subconscious and knowing what makes you tick. So. I kind of got that right away. And Wes just sort of left me alone and he liked the way I physicalized it. And I was sort of set free. I had done like a year and a half straight of television. And you know, Michael, how many times at the end of the day, they light you for 45 minutes and stick you in a corner and you just have to listen to somebody else's monologue. Right. And they just need, they're gonna only use three seconds of that. Yep. But you stand there for a half hour trying to look cool, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, I was so freed from that wearing the makeup and getting to physicalize. Uh, I, I felt very liberated. I was able to move more kind of dance the guy. Yeah. What was your first line that you remember? And you didn't, you're like, how am I going to deliver this? What am I, did you know, did you rehearse it a million times in front of the mirror? No, you know, I found the voice putting the makeup on. Really? That's when you yeah. found the voice. Yeah. And I think the first line I had was just, saying the name of the girl, Tina. 
And uh, I think I did it a lot of different ways, but I wanted to do it with a whisper. Tina! You know, I had this idea of it as a whisper, dot, 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 you know. I could sort of see it mentally. And uh, I think that was my first line. Though I found the voice sitting out in the valley, deep valley, you know, borderline Pacoima, North Hollywood. And I was in a garage at David Miller, the great David Miller's makeup shop, and, and in an old vintage 1950s, 1940s barber chair in front of the mirrors. And maybe this was the second or third time we did a makeup test. And David wasn't real. His hygiene with his brushes wasn't real good. Oh. And they would get kind of stiff and crusty, you know, like day old snot. And he was kind of like touching me up because Wes or Bob Shea or both of them were coming over to, to look at the makeup and give him notes. And he was kind of stabbing me with his crusty brush. And I think I went something like, God damn it, David. And I, I saw myself say, God damn it, David in the mirror. And the reason I said that was I was a little hoarse or something, or I hadn't had my morning coffee. And I went, Oh, Hey, I kind of like that, that, that gutturally plays voice work. Wow. Character. So I had the voice from that, you know, like a David Miller one day, you know, that because is, you know, Freddie's talking like this. I'm saying, Hey, what are we going to, you know, and he's trying to, he wants to listen to heavy metal music in the morning. And I want to watch the today show. Let's watch the today show. You know, I like that Jane Polly. Hey, you know, and uh, that's my voice, you know, surfing USA, Robert England from the Valley. Right. And uh, I can't use my raw voice. My long vowels don't work at all. So I, I, I found that voice yelling and scolding David Miller at like eight in the morning somewhere, you know, in East Bumfuck, North Hollywood, uh, you know, in, in a garage, Jesus. in a barber's chair. But I, it was seeing it come out of that face in the mirror. God damn it, David. I just love that. God damn it, David. God damn it, David. <laughs> Wait a minute. Thank you, David. What? You're fucked. You're crazy. I know. Yes. I mean, you know, I watched the documentary. It was like a, I don't know, an eight parts, whatever series of, of the whole Nightmare on Elm Street. And I, and I watched it and it was just like, you know, they kind of let you run free after a while because you would come up with all this stuff. I mean, I mean, a lot of those things you were, you know, like, welcome to prime time, bitch, was your line, right? That's, yeah, but I, 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 in all fairness to the writers, and there's some great writers. It's like who's who, guy that wrote Shawshank Redemption. You know, we have great writers on the show. Forrest Majeure, a lot of great people. And, uh, uh, and of course, Wes, Brian Hegeland, you know. But you know what happens, you know, in Smallville. About halfway through season two, maybe sooner for you, Michael, but about halfway <laughs> through season two, you know, you get, you have your house directors on a series. And then you have, you know, because of the DGA, you have to have new directors every so many episodes. And, you know, every once in a while you get a new director and he's probably not a real big Superboy fan. Right. You know, he wants, he likes Terrence Malick. He wants to follow Lex Luthor with a handheld steady cam between his legs, walking, you know, <laughs> up the stairs. And, and, and they don't, that's not, he's not paying attention to the plot. He doesn't know who you really like and who you don't like. And he makes you stand next to somebody you don't like, or he wants you to do something, a piece of business with a prop that, you know, as Michael Rosenbaum, you know, he wouldn't do that. Lex Luthor wouldn't, wouldn't drink a beer out of a bottle. You know, right, right. that's not Lex Luthor. He drinks, you know, 25 year old scotch out of crystal. Right. <laughs> and you just know that about the character. Well, you own it. There comes a point where even you know more than the writers about 
the do's and don'ts of Lex Luthor. And then the same thing happened with me with Freddie. There comes a point where I just sort of owned him, you know. Rennie Harlan, the director Rennie Harlan, who really let me alone on part four. And that's my favorite performance uh, uh, of, of, of Freddie because he really let me kind of dance the character a bit, you know. Right. Really make him reptilian, kind of wear the furniture. Yeah. I mean, you just you could just tell you were having more and more fun. I remember the the audience even like even during the whole run of all the uh the um the movies i remember forcing my mom well i didn't force my mom she loved horror movies and got me to watch horror movies with her when i was eight so that's why i'm kind of fucked up but um <laughs> we're watching uh, the one where i believe it's dream warriors and i remember somebody in the audience just jumped up and goes that's freddy's mama <laughs> Helena Kruger and I was I remember yeah. going wow man people wow. are excited about this movie still well you know there's a great happy accident and, and and I'm sure it's happened to you with some cult films video for me would have been DVD for you Michael but I came of my my career came of age during the video revolution so I had hit movies in the theaters and then they became hit hip hip films again when they came out in video to a whole other audience yep but i had that times eight and that's not counting the tv series and not only do i have that times eight but then i have it again with dvd and blu-ray and cable and and marathons on cable so you get a new generation yeah i'm on my third generation of fans so what you're saying and, is you're rich and the, the movie had a 20-year run it was 84 84 to 94 and then 10 years went away and then we did Freddy versus Jason and that revived that revived it again for a new generation so we actually had a 20 year run eight movies a television series Jesus man and DVD and videos and and then the videos became the making of and then the DVDs became Blu-ray you know and uh, and and they became more sophisticated now people aren't doing that anymore, but now people, I, I was, I went looking like on the subset of menus on, on, on a streaming app the other day. And I couldn't believe it. It was, there was like a Robert England section, you wow. know, of just horror movies, you know, I was like, what? How cool Stuff is that? I forgot I'd done, you know, in Europe, you know. Inside of you is brought to you by Shopify. You know, I use Shopify. You guys go on the, you know, inside of you online store and you see how easy it is to navigate for you. It's so amazing. Shopify. I can't think of anyone else that would do this uh, the right way like Shopify does. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage Shopify's there to help you grow it's so easy to navigate and when you want to add discounts like for instance I just had a discount where I put uh Michael 15 and that was my discount code how much of a percent 15% off the total order easy adding products it's so easy you put a picture you just upload a picture you put a description it's it, it, it does everything for you and the analytics are so easy to use uh, this is the most selling product oh i should get more of those this is the least selling product this is how much i made for this month compared to last year or last month it's so easy to navigate i feel like a pro and shopify has really helped me 
do that. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash inside, all lowercase. Shopify.com slash inside now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash inside. Inside of you is brought to you by Neurohacker, Qualia Synaletic. Let me tell you something. If you haven't tried this, you are missing out. I just sent this to my mom. I have it. I use it. It's a product that I didn't, I, they weren't even my sponsor when I was using this. And I was like, wow, why do I have more focus or energy? Why do I feel better? Why do I feel different? It's because I take Qualia Synaletic, Neurohacker. Look, if someone would have told me, Ryan, that there are science-backed ingredients that could help me feel 15 years younger in a matter of months, I wouldn't have believed it. But uh, I tried quiacinolytic and the rest is history. As we age, everyone accumulates senescent cells in their body. Senescent cells may cause symptoms of aging such as aches and discomfort, slow workout recoveries, sluggish mental and physical energy associated with that middle-aged feeling. Also known as zombie cells, they're old and worn out and not serving a useful function for our health anymore, but they could be taking up space and nutrients from our healthy cells. Much like pruning the yellowing and dead leaves off a plant, Qualia Senoletic helps remove those worn out senescent cells to allow for the rest of them to thrive in the body. And... You just take it two days a month. The formula is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and the ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in the combined effect of all the ingredients together. And Neurohacker Quiacinolytic has a 100-day money-back guarantee. Oh, I have, I have more energy. Uh, I feel younger. Uh, I'm more productive. I will tell you that. I'm more productive. And uh, I feel like I have, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more enthusiastic about my life. I definitely feel that, and uh, for me, the aches and pains are less lessened by this, so that is a real important thing for me. Help resist aging at the cellular level, folks. Try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com slash inside. Neurohacker, N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R. Neurohacker.com slash inside for up to $100 off and use code INSIDE at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com slash inside for an extra 15% off your purchase. After the first one is, you know, they didn't they try to cast another actor as Freddy Krueger. Now this would have just pissed me off. Lack of respect. Did they try? Cause I know Wes didn't direct the second one. I know there, but the fact that they did, they not ask you to do the second one or that you wanted to, they asked me to do it. And now they're, I've heard there was a money thing, but I never remember. I don't remember there being a money thing. Uh, I just remember there being a scheduling thing. And because I had agreed on the money or my agent had agreed on the money, he made demands with them about the scheduling. And so they were going to use a double for me for a scene in a steam room. 
So they used a double for me. And I was supposed to start, start the next day. And I literally remember being in makeup late in the day, like two in the afternoon. And they had finished with the second day of using this double. And the director, Jack Shoulder, had gone to Bob Shea and the people and said, we got to reshoot this stuff with Robert. It does, it's horrible. This guy's walking around like Frankenstein. <laughs> you know, and uh, he did, it's like, we got to do it, Robert. He goes, you don't know. And, and so I really have to thank Jack Shoulder for stopping shooting while I was getting makeup in the makeup trailer. When I finally was scheduled, I'd, I'd finished whatever else I was doing, some other movie. And, uh, uh, he brought me, they brought me in I, and they were already a couple of days into the shooting of the boys at the high school and uh, brought me in and I was there getting my makeup. I think it was my first, my one and only late call for makeup I had up until that point. Normally I'm there at the crack of dawn. And uh, I kind of, I think I saw the other guy for, for a minute. I saw them, they had a mask on him or something. I don't even know if they had the right makeup on him because they hadn't designed any for him. And Kevin Yeager was the makeup guy for part two. The great Kevin Yeager produced Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. Created Chucky and everything else. And Kevin Yeager, you know, was there putting on my makeup and he prepared it. So obviously we'd been, we'd made the deal because he'd had to do the, the molds and everything, or he'd gotten the molds from David Miller and had done all the sculpting on the prosthetic pieces. And uh, it was, a, it was finer and thinner. Uh, I remember, I don't, quite remember going to Kevin's shop and perhaps I did before that. I, maybe I did go to go to Kevin's shop and, and do a test, but there, there had been that delay in scheduling. Uh, but I really have Jack shoulder to thank for being the guy, you know, the director of part two saying, you got to use Robert. There's nobody else. So there was play. no discrepancy. There was no, not ever thinking of not casting you in the second one because of money or anything like that. Well, they offered me, I, I was offered the part and I don't think it was money. Cause I, kinda, I, I remember, um, I was still, perhaps I had just finished V the second, I was, or I was still doing the series of V or I had just finished the series of V and we were all sitting around with our fingers crossed that it would be picked up. And, uh, and, and I had renegotiated and that's where I was, you know, that's where I was making my big bucks. Right. I, I Aaron Elmster. But you should have been. It was quite easy for me to say, Oh, they're offering, you know, this amount. Fine, fine. I'll do it. You know, but they have to wait, wait till, I, wait till I'm done with the last episode of my, of, of V. Cause then, then I'll be on hold for V waiting to hear if I'm picked up and we'll fit in nightmare and Elm Street. And they were all, they were kind of uppity about that. But but why would that was the problem? Yeah, but Robert, I I, I feel like I, I I know I would have been, and anybody out listening would have been like, I'm Freddy fucking Krueger. That movie was I'm Fred Krueger here. So you have you to pay up. Michael, you have to understand back then, my head was in V. V was my international success. They were flying me over to Italy for award shows. I think I'd already done one movie in Europe, which I love. I love working in Europe, in Spain or somewhere. And and I I, I love playing Freddy. And I knew Freddy was a hit, but there was only one Freddy. And it had just begun to take off huge internationally. And because this would have been 85. Right. And uh, I my head was not just in the Freddy Krueger playbook. I was still hoping... I'd get picked up for V because then I would be rich. Right. I would have been rich. And so I wasn't thinking about negotiating. My agent was just trying to, I think, clear the schedule, make this gotcha. schedule. Gotcha. Okay. And not demand a bunch of money. That just wasn't where my head was at. 
Um, again, I'll leave it, I'll tell you that at the end of Nightmare 2, the one we're talking about, mm-hmm. I had to do pickup shots in a little MTV studio on Santa Monica Boulevard in West Hollywood. And I just, I think I had to like, you know, peer around a door or I, you know, they saw me, they saw my shadow, maybe a shot moving up my legs and, and you saw me from down, just a couple of, of, of atmosphere pickup shots. And uh, I, they, Wes Craven loaned them the original glove to, for the pickup shots. And I went over there and I had been told by somebody at Fango to watch out for industrial espionage of fanboys who were going to try to steal some props at this shoot. And we realized there were a couple of guys there on the crew that weren't really on the crew. And the reason we ID- ID'd them was because they had brand new uh, tool belts from Walmart. Brand new. You know, that new kind of Timberland leather, <laughs> that bright orangey <laughs> leather, you know? Yeah. You can tell, you know, that, you know, like when you go to school the first day after Christmas, the guy that has all the new clothes on, you know, you can tell. He yep. wasn't, yep. he wasn't ripped. Yeah. <laughs> Everything, all the tools were shiny and new, you know, he didn't have them in the right loops. So we kind of figured out who these guys were. So I took the glove. I took the original glove and I just gave it to my agent as a present. You know, because I I didn't think this nightmare on Elm Street thing was going to be that big. I figured, hey, I got I did two of them. You know, it's it's helping me overseas. Great. You know, I hadn't made a lot of money. I I, I thought it was going to be a TV star back then. I thought, oh, I'm going to be the new Doctor Spock or something right. because of me. And uh, the next thing I know, you know, I've got first class tickets to Paris and first class tickets to Hong Kong and all that stuff. Wow. It kind of changed overnight for me. And then by the time three came, I, I couldn't control it. By the time Nightmare Three came around, uh, which was I think is the biggest hit of all of them. That's yeah. the one with Patricia Arquette. That's my favorite. The original's my favorite. Then three, I would say, is is my second favorite. Three is the fan favorite. Yeah, three's definitely the fan. It's just favorite. the kids like and you. It I just like Wes Craven's new nightmare the best. But oh yeah. Three, that's fantastic. That's real kind of deconstructed, you know. Uh, kind of meta you yeah know, and fun what did you you know a lot of people i know you've heard this a million times and you could like uh denounce it or whatever but you know they say that the second film you know when you watch it there's a lot of uh you know undertones there are sexual uh what, what, what's the proper terminology here well there's a subtext let's let's call it like it is there's I, the, the homosexual subtext of part two the gay subtext is that Freddie is playing with the two boys. He's in their subconscious, Mark Patton and Robert Russler. Freddie's in their heads. They're having Freddie nightmares. So he's playing with them. He's toying with their adolescent hormones and any latent homosexuality that might be present in either of them. So that's there. We played with that. And Freddie plays with it. There's a scene where I, you know, I, I I I circle the boy's mouth with my blade and practically French kissing. Right. And, and I remember talking to Mark and going, Mark was, I'm gonna make this real darkly erotic here. We we were on top of it. Jack was so busy worrying about the effects and the money and that constantly tick-tock clock going, you know, when you're shooting, that Jack doesn't remember, you know, that we played with that. But I know Mark and I talked about it. I think. Robert Russell and I talked about Bob it. Shea, I think on the interviews, he would say like, no, I don't remember anything like that. I think he was the well, one. Bob, Bob doesn't remember talking about it because we were so worried about, you know, getting, you know, we shot in Pasadena. If you know anything about shooting in Pasadena, 
you got to have everything rolled up and out of town by 1030 at night or they'll, you know, it's a huge fine. Right. So they had a lot of pressure on them. But Bob Shea plays an S&M bartender. In the S and M game, Marcy. Oh, that's right. The yeah, professor of the movie. Guys. So it's definitely, it's not. You know, there's de- and we right away. You know, I right away I was getting all this fan mail from kids who love. You know, and and Mark Patton was getting sure. all this fan mail from 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 boys and girls that were saying we oh we like seeing ourselves. You know, we're troubled and all of that and confusing and you know. And and it, so we played it. It was just a, it was just one more element. Yeah, to sink your teeth into. It's amazing. It's not what the movie's about, but it is a subtext in the movie. It's amazing that I, as a kid, when I watched it, it you know it scared the shit out of me, and I didn't recognize any of that. And then when I watched it as an adult, I go, "Oh my gosh! Look at the door. It says you know, keep out the boys.' Any, if you watch any of them, there's some there's sexual stuff in all of oh, them. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Freddie, Freddie, you know, there's a Beauty and the Beast sexuality hidden there. That's right. always part of it, but it's not, you know, the, the, the thing that, that people get wrong is imagining that, that Freddie's a pedophile. No, 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 no. Freddie, Freddie's a child killer. You want to think of that poetically, darkly poetic, like, right. like a, like a, a, a Doors song, you know, Jim Morrison's classic cover of child killer, you know, <laughs> Alice Cooper, child killer, you know, or somebody <laughs> it's, it's that darkly child killer has a thing to it. He's killing the future. Children of the future. He's killing the future. There's something oh dark God. and William Blake and and creepy and dark about that. You know, so he's killing kids. He does, doesn't he doesn't need to rape them, you know? Right. Isn't that bad enough that he's killing them? Yeah. Yeah, that's bad enough. I, I you know, by the way, your energy, it's like I I'm back on set on Urban Legend with you. You just have that lovable, fun, you know, just you're a great storyteller. And I appreciate it. I'm a fan too. You know, we talk about I mean you and I remember you and I bonded over movies we love back. Oh then. yeah. Remember? Oh yeah, and I want to bomb with you again. We gotta, we gotta catch up for real. I mean, this is this is enormous for me. I love this. I've always wanted to have you, and, and the the fans, my patrons out there, they're gonna love this. By the way, this is this is called shit talking with Robert England, and this is rapid fire. So you answer these real quick from from fans. Okay. Rapid fire, Taylor K. What was the most difficult scene to film in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise? Um, probably uh, the the demon Freddy. Uh, in in uh, Freddy versus Jason, I'm a little over the hill when I did that movie. I had to do my sit-ups every morning and uh, eat my yogurt and my gluten-free. Uh, and I that's really me underwater in that movie. And that's me coming out. Wow. And landing on the deck of the pier. But I couldn't get that makeup off because they double glued me uh, on the demon makeup. And they were worried that I'd leak like an old condom, you know. And uh, I'd look like a water balloon or something after one take. So they double glued me and we couldn't get that off. And it took hours to get Claustrophobic. that. And they scrubbed and scrubbed and scrubbed. And by then I'm raw. And I had to go back to work the next morning at dawn to put the traditional Freddie makeup on. And uh, that was a bitch of a week. Thank God I had a break coming up on Friday. Steph A, as the king of nightmares, have you ever had a real nightmare that scared you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have one for years. When I was a child, and and I I had it in the adolescence where, uh, it, it's sort of pork chop hill meets Manchurian Candidate. You know the traditional uh, uh Korean War, the Korean soldier, North Korean soldier. They have that 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 hat, you know, with the with the flaps pinned up and the red star. So that scared me to death. It's a Cold War fear, I guess, from watching the the, the news or something. But I'm on a playground. 
I'm a child. I'm in elementary school. And I'm in the lap of the most beautiful girl in the sixth grade. And I'm dying. And she's caressing me. And blood's coming out of the corner of my mouth. And over the fence of the playground are all of these North Korean soldiers with guns and fur coats and those, those, those hats with the red star and the, and the ear flaps pinned up coming at me. And I, ha- I don't know what it's from or where it's from, but I had that probably until I was 20 years old. Don't eat before you go to bed. And I, I wrote about it in my book, and I mentioned the girl's name. And about five years ago, I got an, I got a, an email from her. The girl, the, this girl from my sixth grade class. Wow. What does it mean? I don't know, man. That's in dreams. I swear to God, I, I'm not even being weird, but I had a dream that you came over my house instead of Zoom me, and you were in, in, in makeup, but you were it was really bad makeup. And I'm like, well, you know, you don't have to be in makeup for the interview. And then you're like, no, it's fine. It's fine. And you're looking at my shit and you're, it was just weird. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, Carly T, you have played Freddie across various platforms. What's your favorite version of Freddie to play? You said the fourth one. Do you like but yeah, movie? Nightmare 4, the one Ronnie Harlan directed. I, 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 he let me kind of physicalize it and dance him a little more in that. Right. And I really like my performance in that one. Lauren W, do you still have the iconic red and blue sweater? No way. No way. No, I gave it to uh, uh, Planet Hollywood. For their big opening. And they shut uh, down. And, and yeah, it must be in Bruce Willis's attic now. Or his ass. Somewhere uh, in Idaho. Little Lisa, what was your favorite part about working on Urban Legend besides working with me? Well, I, do, <laughs> I did like those lunches with Baron Munchausen, you know, with John Neville. John Neville. Those were fun. Plus, I got to I got to act with Alicia Witt, and I've had such a crush you on You have. Does Nancy know this? I don't know. I don't know. You she know does now. Late in life. I got a little tingle for redheads. I never had it. Now, now I'll be flipping around the TV. I see an old Rhonda Fleming movie and I get a heart on. I mean, I don't understand. She, this, well, <laughs> just late in life. redheads. Well, Rusky S. Rusky. Speaking of Rusky, old Rusky over there. Rusky S. Did you, you ad lib any of the great one liners? He already told us his story, but what's your, what's your favorite one liner? Well, I, I like welcome to prime time, bitch, but there's one in Freddie versus Jason where he says, don't worry, princess. The first time tends to get a little messy. <laughs> I remember that. Good God. Leanne P., I love your portrayal of Willie in one of my all-time favorite miniseries, V, of course. Any fun memories you'd like to share from behind the scenes? Well, you know, I'm, I'm always brokenhearted that we got prematurely canceled when we turned to series. One night we were working on the back lot at Warner Brothers, and we had uh, uh, trash barrels with little fires in them, kind of like a homeless encampment. And we were all sitting around warming our hands and doing this scene. And I went over and I saw the the dailies the next day. And it was nighttime and we're all lit underneath with the flames. And I said, this is what the show should look like. Because they tried to play the normalcy of the earth being kind of invaded and held captive by these aliens. And I love the idea of the underground and the rebels kind of having to like live by their wits and, and, and living underground. And this idea of, of like these sort of like uh, homeless camps and the, the, the fires in trash cans and skulking around at night. It just, I went, oh my God, this was probably halfway into the series. Like, you know, it costs nothing. You just shoot nights 
and make it look, now we've seen that post-apocalyptic look on everything. Right. Now we're sick to death of that. But back then, in the early 80s, this was a great look. And we could have embraced that, I think, along with the leftover John Dykstra creations. And it would have been a better look for the series. Lisa H., what was it like working with Andrew Dice Clay in The Adventures of Ford Fairline? Your character in that movie made her laugh out loud. Hello, hello, hello. Snapper. Snapper. <laughs> Andrew used to call me Snapperhead. Hey, Snapperhead. Hey, what are you doing? Andrew, you know, I used to go to a, a, a market, uh, the, my first gourmet market, uh, uh, Chalet Gourmet on the corner of uh, Sunset Boulevard in Fairfax. And uh, I, I almost scratched Andrew's Cadillac opening the door there once. And Andrew went off on me in character. You know, he was smoking a cigarette in the parking lot. And then cut to years later, I'm working with Andrew and, uh, and, and he remembered it, you know, and he kind of, he was really sweet. You know, he kind of apologized. He said, I was in a bad mood. I just lost a part. But I remember when Andrew bought his first, uh, you know, his first house and he was signing the papers in his uh, dressing room. And he was nervous. He was like a big kid. You know, he's, he really is a teddy bear. In, in real life. But, you know, I remember Nora, Nora Dunn, you know, Yo, yeah, Saturday Live. and complaining about him. And we, you as a comic and, and me as an actor, knowing other actors, source material, I always knew that, that he was doing a little bit of Buddy Love and a little bit of Fonzarelli, you know, he, he was doing a little bit of Lords of Flatbush. He was doing Buddy, Joey Buttafuoco. Yeah. He was doing those Long Island guys. You and I know that. And for her not to see that and to think that was Andrew, you know, it, it kind of broke my heart that it, it, yeah. it took the wind out of his career for a while. But he's had the last laugh. Said that HBO show, did that great Woody Allen movie with Kate Blanchett. I remember he uh, cried on Arsenio Hall. I think it was. He was like, you know, people, you know, they think that I'm this way. You know, you know, he starts talking about that. But he had the best one-liners. This guy in the audience was heckling. We don't need people like you. Get out of here. And he just looks and goes. Why don't you turn your teeth around and bite your throat? Do us all a favor, you fuck. And he goes, hey, you're the t look at you. You're the type of guy that gets out of the shower to take a piss. <laughs> <laughs> I just loved him. I mean, I just. I, and, and he, a sweet guy. Was he didn't so mean that shit. He was just. He was a character. And he didn't pull any star shit at all on board Fairlane. That, you know, that movie didn't do that well when it came out, but now it's. And you know, you've had some like this too. It's great. It's full-fledged cult classic now. Yeah. Hey, lastly. Cast, Gilbert Gottfried, you know, Vince Neil from Motley Crue. I mean, everybody and their dog is in that. I remember being in the Capitol Records building, sitting with uh, Priscilla Presley and Wayne Newton. Jesus. And he had the left-handed left, fret, left uh, Stratocaster of uh, uh, Jimi Hendrix. And and Wayne Newton is a huge rock encyclopedia. He knows everything about rock and roll. Everybody. He's met everybody. He's Mr. Las Vegas. And he was telling stories about Elvis and literally playing chords on the Jimi Hendrix Stratocaster. And he and Priscilla are old friends. And, you know, it's like you're, at, you're like, whoa. And then we went to roast Joel Silver in Vegas at a roast. And I got to walk through the casino with... The king of Las Vegas's wife, Priscilla Presley, on one hand, and 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 Wayne Newton, Mr. Las Vegas, on the other, and the casino parted 
like the Red Sea, wow. you know, and the Ten Commandments. And people came up and they had, you know, Priscilla kiss her, kiss their dice, you know, not Andrew Dice Clay, but, you know, their <laughs> dice for craps. Yeah. And they also had, uh, you know, they, they, they just wanted to touch them for good luck. And that was all because, you know, of Andrew Dice Clay and his movie, Joel Silver produced it. You know, wow. Ray Harlan also directed that, got the directed part for. But uh, that was just a, a, a really fun gig. I did all my own stunts on that too. That's me and the sinking boat. You know, it's really, it's yours truly. I love it. Hey, let me ask you last before we go. I shouldn't have, maybe this shouldn't be the last question, but you know, I worked with Wes. Uh, we did a movie that nobody saw really called cursed. And I just, I really loved him. He sent me a letter before I worked with him. Just, I still have the letter about just, just saying, I love your work and I, I'd love for you to come and join us. And it was just, but when he passed away, it broke my heart. I felt so horrible about it, but I know that you, you knew him for so many years. Were you guys close and did it, how did it affect you? We were close and we had mutual respect. Um, you know, Wes is a, a double threat writer director, which is, you always feel comfortable with that. And, uh, I did a series for Wes up in Vancouver. Uh, and, uh, we were watching SNL one night. I had the, I had the best department up by Stanley park because I might walk my dog in Stanley Park. And we were watching SNL, and it was the night of the Head Wound Harry sketch with Dana. And uh, Wes and uh, uh, myself, my wife, uh, a couple of the actors from the show were all sitting around drinking a bottle of wine, and Head Room Harry came on. And Wes is very tall. You know, and Wes is sitting on my couch and Wes almost fell off the couch laughing. He was laughing so hard he was crying. And he turned into the 14-year-old boy that is Wes. Aww. Loving that dark, funny, tricky humor that head wound Harry was. And, uh, I mean, I had to, like, slap him on the back because he was, he was laughing so hard. We thought he was going to choke. And Les had let down his hair, so to speak, in front of me that night. Gotten a little drunk, you know. And, and laughed until he was crying at that sketch. And, and, and I think he, that was kind of my gift from Wes, that he finally became one of the guys with Ball. Instead of just my boss, you know, he was one of the guys finally. That's amazing. Yeah, he, uh, I remember, he again, he used to always have me do impressions for takes, and the cast, were, they, they were just like, so they had to redo this movie, Curse. So they redid it. They wanted him to reshoot it, which he was so pissed off about it. And uh, the actors had to come back, but they recast a couple actors and he asked me and, you know, it wasn't even a huge part, but I just wanted to work with Wes. I just didn't care. And every day he would just have me, Michael, do it like Walken, do it like Malkovich, do it like, and the cast was like tired, but they were like kind of trying to be nice. But I'm like, are you sure? He's like, yes. Yeah. And the, so I, I was barely in the movie. And then when we had a rap party on the video, I was like 80% of it. And I'm a guy that worked like six days on the movie. And he he was just so, at the end of it, we used to talk about Amity Vahari. He goes, it was a hoax. I'm like, no, it wasn't. We would talk about it right up till we're shooting. And we would just, he was so fun to be around. And at the end, I go, Wes, he goes, Michael, I go, it's great working with you. He's like, my pleasure. It was a real pleasure. And I go, I'm going to give you a hug now. He goes, are you sure? And I go, if you, if you don't mind. He goes, okay. <laughs> we gave each other this nice hug and it was just i just loved i wanted he's one of those guys where you want him to like you you just you just he's such a good spirit to be around two things that a lot of people don't know i don't know if you ever went up to his house he mm. had the coolest the coolest bachelor pad in all of la <laughs> 
<laughs> he lived in Steve McQueen's old bachelor pad wow. and he retooled it. He had a, you know, an exercise pool and everything in it was cool. Every coffee table book, every, every CD line around the art on the walls. It was just the coolest place right on a cliff, way up Nichols Canyon wow. overlooking. You can see Catalina Island. So there's that part of Wes. He also, when I first met him at his first house down in Venice, he had great, some great cars, the original XKE, you know, Peter O'Toole, Audrey Hepburn, you know, uh, you know, how to seal a million XKE in his garage. Um, but there's also the Wes Craven that as a child was not allowed, you know, to read comic books or go to movies or watch TV. He could only see like a couple of Disney movies a year. So Wes was always kind of catching up. You could always turn Wes on to some movie or, 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 you know, some horror movie, great classic or, or something kind of grindhouse Quentin Tarantino esque or, or, or something like that. Cause he sort of missed that as a child because his parents wouldn't let he and his brother see that stuff. Wow. Yeah. You so can he, had you, hunger. Yeah. he had that hunger and that curiosity. And I think he also, because of that, he sort of kept the 14 year old boy alive in him. Yeah. Hey, I love you. It's so great to see you and hear from you. And thank you for being on the, on the podcast. My pleasure, Michael. Hey, be careful out there. All right. We'll all see each other at a con soon. I love that interview. I really enjoy. He's just so open. And I think, you know, when you play a character for so long, you know, you can get tired of the same old questions and yeah, I try to mix it up, but, uh, it's so iconic. And, you know, my friends and I, we actually sat down and watched all the Nightmare on Elm Streets. Yeah. yeah, it was a good time. It was a good time. They're not all good. I'll tell you that. Well, right there's now. a lot of them. They can't all be. Yeah, no, they can't be. There's a, there's a couple of them that I really liked, but um, Dream Warriors was my favorite. The first one, Dream Warriors, was really good. But uh, thank you, Robert England, for coming on the podcast. It meant a lot to me, and I uh, consider you an old friend. And... Uh, yeah, if you enjoyed that, stick around. Please subscribe to the podcast. Take a listen for next week's episode. It's going to be another goodie. And um, yeah, thank you to all the patrons. Again, if you want to um, follow us on socials. Uh, at Inside of You Pod on in Twitter. No, not Inside of You Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. At Inside of You Pod on Twitter and at, yep. at Inside of You Podcast on Instagram That's right. and Facebook. And then if you want to watch on YouTube, just type in Inside of You with Michael Rosemont. You could watch the interviews. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we do these cool animations. The one that came out of... Uh, with Kiefer. That was Kiefer really Sutherland good. That was a really and good one. Jason Patrick. He, they did a great really, job. Really funny. They really did a great job. And that's on your Instagram. And that's on my Instagram. You can go to The Real... No, it's just The Michael Rosenbaum yeah. on Instagram. But thank you to everybody. Remember, Sunspin. Go to sunspin.com for all band updates. You want to book a Zoom with us? You want to book the band? You want to get merch? You want to go to a Sunspin, listen to a Sunspin show or watch it on uh, Stage It on May 29th, 2 p.m., 6 p.m. We'd love the support. If you haven't, we'd really love to, to see you there and see your name pop up, and I'll give you a shout-out. Um, and if you want to join Patreon, if you want to join Patreon uh, with many other people, it's become a nice family, please do so at patreon.com slash inside of you mm -hmm. and join us and i'll give you a nice text right after and it's uh there's a lot of fun stuff on the patreon if you don't know what it is check it out go to patreon.com slash inside of you and you could learn because it will show you what different tiers get and uh, again you know boxes for me and messages and this and that and it's uh, it's a lot of fun but right now one of my favorite parts of the podcast is the end of the podcast which i get to give all the shout outs 
to the patrons and we get to see how many uh, names Ryan knows. Yeah, here we go. Nancy. D. Mary. B. Leah. S. Trisha. F. Sarah. V. Little. Lisa. U. Kiko. Jill. E. Brian. H. Lauren. G. Nico. P. Robin. S. Jerry. W. Robert. W. No. Gosh, you no, just it's Robert L. No, it's Robert B. Robert B. It's Robert Did B. You, That's you guys got to give it up. Write into Ryan. What's your Twitter? At at Taz Ryan. At Taz Ryan. At T E L L E Z Ryan. And give him a shout out for. It's pretty amazing that he could do this. We got Jason W. We got Apophian. We got Kristen K. Amelia O. Allison L. Lucas M. Raj C. Joshua D. Emily S. C. J. P. Samantha M. Jennifer N. Jackie P. Stacy L. Carly T- P. H. Wow, you're baffling me. Carly S. Jen S. Jamal F. Janelle B. Carrie B. Tab of the 272, not to be confused with. Tab of the 273. Ashley Ryan. Kimberly E. Mike E. Marissa N. Naniarello. Eldon Supremo. 99 more. Ramiro. Santiago M. Sarah F. Chad W. Leon P. Ray H. A. Oh, that's A first. Maya P. Maddie S. Kendrick F. Dude, how are you doing this? Because I've done 60 of these. Ashley. Uh, 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 e. E, sure. Shannon D, Matt W, Belinda N, Kevin V, James R, Chris H, Dave H, Samantha F, Spider Man, Chase, Sheila G, Ray H, Tabitha T, Tom N. Yes, Suzanne P, B, Damn. Katie. Uh, I don't know. F. Liliana A. Michelle K. Hannah B. Michael S. Talia M. Luke H. Andrew T. Betsy D. Claire M. Liz J. Laura L. Chad L. Rochelle E. Let final stretch. Nathan. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know. E. Brandall. Taylor K. Neil A. Marion A. Meg K. Janelle P. Trav L. Dan N. Jennifer J. Wayne M. Diane R. O. Jetta. Lorraine G. Olga K. Oh, wait, no, that's a person I know. C. <laughs> Corey M. Carrie H. Veronica K. Big Stevie W. Kendall T. Lindsay M. Carol D. Katie G. Uh, we got Sandy B. Angel M. Eric C. Rhiannon C. Stephen M. Corey K. Super Sam. Super Sam. Emily K. Sherry S. Coleman G. Michelle A. And Riley jay it means the world that you guys are uh my top tiers and that you listen to the show and subscribe and all that stuff and i would not be able to do this without you that's a fact i've told you before thanks for subscribing i love you from ryan tez and michael rosenbaum up here in the hills of hollywood hollywood california hey everybody it's <laughs> harry Carey here and we're gonna wave to the camera ryan hey guys thank you for allowing me to be inside of each and every one of you i hope you have a glorious week And thank you for allowing me to be a part of your life every day or at least once a week when you listen to the podcast. So uh, take care of yourselves. Be good to yourselves. Be good to others. And uh, uh, much love. 
Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.